Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. That sense of purpose needs to be shared by the leadership team, by the executive team. Everybody needs to buy into this. Otherwise, can forget about it. And once that has happened, it needs to be shared with all stakeholders, predominantly the employees, but also everybody else. Hey, it's David, and you're listening to Leadership Without Losing Your Soul, your source for practical leadership inspiration, tools, and strategies you can use to achieve transformational results without sacrificing your humanity or your mind in the process. Hey, so glad you can join us today. I have a tremendous guest. I'm so excited to introduce you. Uh, and uh, I don't know that we've had a topic more aligned than for, with this show than today's topic, and you'll see why in just a moment. Our guest today is joining us from Frankfurt, Germany. His name is Ralph Specht. He's the author of Building Corporate Soul. He developed the Soul System, which is trademarked, and Framework Power Cultures and Success for Any Business. After two decades with McCann Erickson in various executive roles, he was a founding partner of Spark 44, an innovative industry-first joint venture with Jaguar Land Rover. Now, I'm still trying to figure out how I can end up with a Jaguar Land Rover uh, of some kind after the show, but you know, Ralph and I might have to talk about that later. Under his leadership as CEO, Spark 44 grew to 1,200 people doing business in 18 countries, and his driving vision is to make soulless companies a thing of the past. So as I said, the name of his book is Building Corporate Soul, Powering Culture and Success with the Soul System. I am so excited to be able to introduce you. Ralph, thank you for being a guest today on Leadership Without Losing Your Soul. David, it's really my pleasure. It's probably going to be a soulmate conversation tonight. I, it might be just a little soulful. Let's do this. Well, okay. We, I want to talk about building corporate soul, and there is so so you have so many powerful. I'm not going to call them arguments, but positions and principles in the book, and we're going to dive into all that. But before we do, I'd like you to take us back. I mean, you have done some amazing things as a leader, business leader in your career. But I'd like you to take us back to your earliest memory of yourself as a leader. My earliest memory of myself as a leader was probably when I trained a volleyball team uh, at the high school when I was, whatever, 16, 17, 18, all those years, years ago, and uh, bringing people together uh, and align them on a, on a, on a, on a shared mission uh, and an idea of uh, where we could get us get ourselves to towards was probably the first memory of a of a, of a leadership experience that I have had. Very nice that alignment and getting everybody going in the same direction. And I'll tell you that is work you have done and then some over the course of your career. And so much of building corporate soul is about that alignment, and it, it comes across in so many different ways. So. We're going to get into the details of that, but I want to start at the level of definition. When we talk about corporate soul, you know, our first book uh, that I jointly wrote with uh, my wife and business partner, Karen Hurt, was Winning Well, A Manager's Guide to Getting Results Without Losing Your Soul. Obviously, the name of the podcast, Without Losing Your Soul. So we get asked, what do we mean by soul? So I have to ask you, when we're talking about corporate soul, what are we talking about? Well... Every company has got a culture. You can't have a company without a culture, right? But only few have got soul. And when I uh, talk about soul, what I mean is the integrity of strategy and actions, attitude and actions, um, basically walking the talk and uh, being clear who you are. Why am I here? Why are we here? What are we supposed to be doing? And how are we going, going about it? Right. I mean, that's the key. Um, if you answer these questions, if you're able to answer these questions, you've come a long way because many leaders can't. So we're talking about that integrity, that alignment of 
action with our strategy, with our values, that all of those things align and, and get us there together. And, and you break that in, out into a number of different aspects. I'm curious as you know, I know joining us, we were talking before the show, you were, you were, you're telling your partner uh, about the show and, and the name and so forth. I'm curious, as you think about leaders or businesses losing their soul, what does that look like from your perspective? Well, in the book, I've looked at both startup companies and, and companies that have been around for decades. And uh, two of them, I think, come to mind. One is Hilton. Hilton Hotels, and the other one is Lego. And pretty much like 20 years ago, early 2000s, um, I think both had lost uh, their, their way, their direction completely. And uh, um, it took um, that deep hit, actually, um, and, and, a, and a period of, of making losses and, and, and uh, not being accepted by their potential customers or customers uh, and employees to um, to make them realize uh, we got to do something differently. And, and, and Lego uh, was interesting because they figured out that part of uh, what got them losing, the, losing their way is that uh, in their design team, in their, in their research and development uh, team, there were too many people that were actually not addicted to Lego. Mm -hmm. And um, so they figured out um, that one of the killer questions in, in hiring was uh, figuring out the relationship um, uh, that people had, applicants had with the Lego brand from childhood and, and, and all the way through. And that was obviously only one small element, there were many others, but um, uh, reinvigorating uh, the soul of the company, I think was a, was a really critical thing. And, and Hilton, uh, pretty much the same. I think Hilton is, is, a, is a class example of, of a company that have understood that um, having the great um, mantras, uh, at the reception uh, of, of headquarters is, is a great thing, but if it doesn't connect with the people, the frontline people at the hotel reception, the cleaning lady, the waiter, and everybody in the service industry or in the service departments of the hotel, um, it's actually worth nothing. It's just a fig leaf and a nice crafted set of words that sound great, look great, but um, nobody will ever experience them. And one of the, the points that you're drawing out there that I, I want to highlight, and I think is important as we talk about this work, is that as a leader, if you're looking at your organization and feeling, as, as Ralph said, that it, it might have lost its way, and you use that as a term like for losing your soul, like we've lost our way. Maybe we're seeing that in the, the business outcomes. Maybe we're seeing that in the employee relations. There's many ways it can manifest that it is possible to recover. It's possible to come back by using the system that, that you're talking about here. And so there's hope. So if you're listening and going, oh, gosh, I'm not sure about the, the alignment and how well we're doing here, there is hope and it is recoverable. Yeah. And uh, I mean, the system has basically got three components, right? So it starts with the shared purpose. And for me, it's critical to call it the shared purpose and not just purpose. Purpose has been like the flavor of the day for whatever the last 10, 15 years. Everybody's talking about purpose. Um, and that's a good thing. But actually talking about it is just not enough. So shared purpose means finding out the clarity about why you're here, why the company is here. Um, and shared is critical in, in two ways. One, uh, that purpose, that sense of purpose needs to be shared by the leadership team, by the executive team. Everybody needs to buy into this, otherwise can forget about it. And once that has happened, it needs to be shared with all stakeholders, predominantly the employees, but also everybody else um, outside the company. And, and once you get that, you get the nucleus, right? And then you've got to work on the strategic elements, and I call them the shared understanding. As you see, the word shared, it runs throughout the system. So shared understanding is about the vision, the mission, the values, and something that I believe very often gets overlooked, which is spirit. 
and vision, I think, is clear. Mission is clear. Values are clear. But what do I mean by, by spirit? So yes, let's unpack me, spirit. Yeah, for me, especially looking into the example that you just mentioned, uh, if a company has lost its way, um, uh, there's hope. So if the company has lost its way and, and the leadership have understood that that has happened, they got to figure out the purpose and the vision and the vision and the values. What I suggest they also do is think about the spirit, and I mean by spirit, the intended culture of the place. So if the purpose is right on the money, the vision is clear, the mission is clear, the values are clear, what do we want the company to feel like, right? Basically, is your litmus test whether this is the theory, the theoretical culture versus the real culture um, once things are at play. And once these two strategic elements, purpose and, and understanding are clear, we get into the shared behaviors. And shared behaviors basically are the litmus test of whether um, it happens or not, right? I, I had a call from, from, from someone who runs a company a few weeks back and, and he, he read the book and he was like, this is great and I love it. And, and I want to tell you, we're a company with, with soul. I'm so proud of what we've achieved. And I listened to him and we had, this, we had a conversation about it. And I said to him, you know what? I think it's great that you recognize this and you, that you are so proud about it. I'm, I'm very happy for you. But I can't tell you whether you got a company with soul. And I'm always a bit suspicious if leaders tell me, but I'm put that aside. To me, the people that can make that judgment are the employees. They can tell you whether a company, a place has got soul or not. And they look at it across all the elements of employee uh, experience, what is happening inside the company, how do they, they experience it? And you look at uh, Glassdoor or any other uh, side of that nature, and you get a good sense of, um, of, of what the spirit in that company is and whether it's the intended spirit or not. And so you have a, a good picture of culture. Oh, I love that, that the spirit of the organization and the intended culture and the experienced culture, realizing that it's not uh, you as a leader, you're not the arbiter of whether or not the culture is there. It's the experience of all of the team members, all of the employees throughout the organization. That's ultimately the defining factor of how they're experiencing the spirit or the culture. Yeah, and, and as a leader, you got one responsibility. You got to create an environment where that intended culture, the spirit, can happen, um, and and uh, you got a re uh, responsibility actually to um, help people and support people. That's why I'm talking in the book about um, supporting soul drivers, recognizing um, potential soul leaders and soul makers, and these are not exactly. necessarily the number one or, or um, first line or second line um, reports that you have, uh, that might be anyone inside uh, the company. And, and uh, if you're able to figure out who they are, you've done a, a critical job. And it, and it means that for HR teams in, in, in companies, um, they gotta be very curious. They gotta be uh, really uh, walking around the place with open eyes and open ears and, and, and figure out who are the people that are critical for the culture of the company and uh, how can we help them um, develop their skills and, and make sure that they keep on pushing for that culture inside the firm because um, as you said from the subtitle, it's about powering culture and success. The two are inextricably linked. Absolutely. The companies, I think that that's got it perfectly um, uh, right and managed it. And again, it's a company where you would probably argue hmm, they had a hard time at one point, not necessarily commercially, but probably culturally, um, is Microsoft. And, and when you look at Microsoft's um, value proposition, when it comes to their customer base, that they're basically saying it's to empower every person, every organization on the planet to achieve more. And they've translated that into an employee value proposition that says, be the one who empowers millions. Mm. And um, I mean, it's, 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 it's close to goosebumps, right? Um, it's, it's a very strong statement. Um, and, and if you take it serious, 
seriously, then uh, I think uh, it's it's the uh, foundation for a great culture to to emerge. That is so powerful. It, you're right. That does give you goosebumps when you really take it seriously. As you're talking, I'm thinking about a group. Uh, about four or five days ago, I was with a group of CEOs. And we were talking about human-centered leadership and uh, courageous cultures in our parlance and and these aspects. And one of the things, one of the topics of conversation that some of the, the leaders brought up was interesting. And I know you've got a perspective on this from your soul index, but it was the, is it just the right thing to do or is it the business case or is it an and? And there was some difference of opinion listening to the, to, to the group talk. I certainly have my perspective on that, but you've got some math to back up your perspective. So I'd love to, to have you share with us a little bit about the Soul Index and why you're so committed to this topic. Well, first of all, I'm committed to the topic uh, and, and basically because of my experience um, uh, as a leader, um, I had the privilege to be a co-founder of a, of a startup, uh, which then grew significantly uh, across the globe. And our team of founders at the time um, was pretty sure or pretty certain that we wanted to uh, cre create a culture, create the environment for a culture that was human-centric and, and performance-driven. Uh, and when, when I stepped down as CEO, um, there were lots of messages that I received from, from, from my colleagues and they were very moving because they did not stop at this normal kind of farewell, have a great time, it was great and, and, and hope to see you in your next job and all of these things. They went much deeper and they all looked into the culture that we had created and uh, many of those, and a few are, are mentioned in the book, um, looked at what I, as an individual, but I also as a leader of a company with, with the other leaders, have been able to achieve for them. And um, they basically said, um, we would have never thought we could have accomplished the things that you trusted us that we would be able to, and we did. Mm. And so that inspired the book. And when I, uh, when I wrote the book, as I was going through surveys and statistics and studies and cases and, and interviews, um, at the end, I was thinking, well, so if, if, if I take all these studies and put them next to each other um, and, and blend them into a statistic um, that puts the weight on employee satisfaction, employee engagement and CEO approval, and marry that with uh, business success and, and brand success, then let's see what happens. And this is how the Soul Index came about. And uh, when, when I got the list, um, I asked um, um, a friend uh, at a bank whether he could do me a portfolio analysis and uh, we could look at this from a, from a perspective of, of uh, performance. And uh, the results are mind-blowing because the, um, uh, the index so in the next 21, basically delivered close to 200 um, uh, percentage points return. NASDAQ did uh, 180 over the same five years, and, and, and Dow Jones and, and S&P 500 were 73, I think, and 84. So um, there is a lot of um, um, success in that space. And, and, and uh, then also last year, uh, Sold Index did 34, and Nasdaq did 27, and, and S&P did 27 too. So it kind of works. And uh, and you see when you look at the um, at the Soul Index, there's a domination of tech companies. There's 60% tech um, inside the Soul Index. And people often ask me, so why do you think that is? And my answer is tech companies have very early on understood that human capital is their only capital. And that has led them to create cultures. And not everybody's perfect in that space, but many are very good um, on comparison mm -hmm. um, um, to, to make that happen. And I wonder as well if you don't have 
Well, I, I guess it's, it would be interesting to, gosh, I'm going so many different directions. So first, I want to emphasize what you just said. Yes, the performance numbers were significant that I have not seen analysis of that sort before until I came across your soul index. So I thought that was a, a pretty powerful demonstration of the business outcomes that it's a both and here. We're talking about business outcomes and the, the human centered approach to leadership and business growth and development and culture. And then uh, as you're talking, I'm wondering about some of the, uh, is, as you're sharing that 60% of that index, they are tech companies. And I'm wondering how much of that is newness, although many of them are not new anymore. Some of them have been around for decades and decades. Absolutely. And um, uh, you look at the, those tech companies and obviously they are younger than some, some companies in the soil index would have quite a history like American Express or Deloitte, which are uh, 19th century companies. But then you get to the number one, Adobe and Salesforce number two and Microsoft number, number three. And they were founded between 1975 and 1999. So in comparison, they're young but they're not startups anymore. They're huge companies. Absolutely. What's interesting with them is um, Adobe, over, the, over that period of the last uh, 20 years, this, this millennium, they've only got two CEOs, right? Microsoft, same thing. Salesforce, pretty much still the founder with Benioff. So you look at that and, and you look at the average tenure of um, Soul Index uh, CEOs. So the average CEO tenure uh, in, uh, in, in S&P 500 uh, companies is roughly seven years on average, right? Uh, here it's uh, nine years. And if um, Jeff Bezos wouldn't have resigned as CEO uh, in 21, uh, obviously it would have been even higher because he's been there from, 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 from the get-go. So that's number, uh, number one. Number two, um, you look at those companies and um, they are very clear about who they are. Uh, I mean, like that Microsoft uh, example of the external value proposition and the internal value proposition, um, they just know it. And uh, I, I really like uh, two examples from, from the Soul Index in, in terms of two companies, which I think are really a class act in terms of um, their clarity uh, and then also the uh, actions. And, and one is LinkedIn, and the other one is Southwest Airlines. And uh, being, being from Germany, I've never flown Southwest Airlines. I've heard a lot about Southwest Airlines. And when they appeared in the Soul Index, I thought I need to dig a bit deeper. I need to understand a bit more. And uh, <clears throat> I just came across a post of a, of a Southwest Airlines employee the other day, like a few weeks back um, on, on LinkedIn, and he talked about the culture. And the reason he talked about the culture was a sad event happened because someone in his family passed away. And uh, two days later, he received a letter from the CEO, um, personalized letter. And uh, when I looked then through the comments on that post, uh, there were many. Uh, who said, yeah, I was in a similar situation and uh, it's amazing how that happens. And when you look at Southwest Airline in terms of their purpose to connect people to what's important in their lives through friendly, reliable and low-cost air travel, and you look at this, connect people to what's important in their lives, you understand you can't do that with your customers if you don't do that with your employees. Very straightforward. And their vision is to be the world's most loved, most efficient, and most profitable airline. And the mission is to dedication to the highest quality of customer service delivered with a sense of warmth, friendliness, individual pride, and company spirit. I got to check that out when I'm in the U.S. next time. Well, Ralph, I, I can tell you that uh, and they are not a sponsor of the show. So without any entanglement there, they are my preferred airline domestically. I fly Southwest exclusively if they're going where I need to go. And uh, and everything that you just described, I can vouch, is absolutely true. It is and it is how you're treated. It is the atmosphere from gate agent to ticketing to on the plane, all of it. Yeah, and and LinkedIn is another great example, and their pur purpose is so straightforward and clear, and uh, it's to facilitate professional networking. Okay, straightforward. The vision is create economic opportunity for every member of the global workforce. So everybody at LinkedIn knows 
kind of what they have to do, right? Create economic opportunity for everyone, pretty much. The mission is to connect the world's professionals to make them more productive and successful. Okay, so you want to make sure that there's economic opportunity for everyone and you want to make, find a way to help people be more productive. And if you're a LinkedIn user, you see that every day um, when, when, you're, when you're using the platform. And their values, I think, are, are really great because uh, seven values... And they're not that superficial fluff that you often read when you read value statements. Value number one is members first. So it's customer centricity. Uh, relationships matter, both internal and external. Um, then there are two statements about the attitude that people want to see, which is be open and be honest and constructive. But then they're really raising the bar. Um, they're saying demand excellence and take intelligent risks and act like an owner. And the, the leadership principles are guided by the thought of the, their, the ability to inspire others and achieve shared results. So when I read all of that, in your mind, you get a clear picture what life at LinkedIn looks like. And if you're able to get it like LinkedIn does or like Southwest uh, does, you got the foundation to actually make sure that all your principles in terms of how you behave as a company, be it with your employees, be it with candidates that want to come, be it with people who leave, be it with um, um, suppliers, be it with the communities you're operating in, be it with um, your customers and your clients. Um, if you have that level of clarity, you can start building the principles of how you want to work with everyone and, um, and if you get all of these things in sync, corporate soul emerges. Powerhouse. As you're talking, and, and the one thing I would uh, recognize is that, well, first, uh, several of the, the companies that you have mentioned, uh, I have, we have done work with. So you've know, seen some of the culture from the inside and uh, as well as some of the challenges. And just because we have these ideal values and the mission, and we, we're very clear on that, doesn't mean we don't have the normal tensions and frictions that human beings encounter working with one another. And as we're growing and priorities start to conflict and we have to work through all of those things. So it's not that it's a panacea, it's that we've created a culture in which we're able to do those things. Absolutely. and. Um... I mean, this is not a book about a, a dream or anything, right? This is a book about um, how to make things better every day. Because if you think you got corporate soul today, well, Monday might be another day. So, <laughs> uh, I mean, it doesn't stop, right? It's a, it, it, I mean, everybody talks about marathons and all of these. This is more than a marathon. It just doesn't, it, it never ends if you take it, take it seriously. And, and you've got to make sure you get the right um, checks in, in, in place uh, so that you can identify whether um, you're still on the right track or whether there, you need some early warning signs to, well, we got to watch out. There's something happening here, like silos in companies, big companies, the larger the companies become, the more silos you usually have and the worse it is for culture. Absolutely. So it's, you know, it's the daily choices that we're making and the systems that we're building and within which we work, and they are continually taking us one direction or the other. So in the soul system, uh, I mean, you discuss many facets of organizational life and you have a great model put together. I mean, you talk about everything from compensation to recruiting to partnerships, followers, uh, development, uh, and, and of course, leadership. So I want to start there. As we get dive into some of the more practical, we've been keeping at the top level. So focusing in on leadership, when you think of what it means to lead with soul, what are some of the the core concepts, the core practical things that any leader listening to the show right now should be thinking about in their own leadership? I think the first thing is you start thinking about your own leadership. <laughs> sounds sounds banal, but um, very often everybody's so busy, 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 scheduled from whatever early in the morning to late in the evening and sometimes the weekend that you don't take the time to reflect on what you're actually doing. And uh, other than the business um, challenges that you need to face and, 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 and client issues and, and, and all of these. 
So think about them. And, and uh, I think the, um, the, there's a number of questions I think that you should ask yourself. And, and one is, um, is your leadership style just David's leadership style or Ralph's leadership, leadership uh, style or is it the leadership style of that company? So like on LinkedIn, the ability to inspire others and achieve shared results is the, is the guiding principle in terms of their leadership um, principles. So do you have something like this? And is it something that you've just got in your mind or is it something that everybody who's a leader in the company knows about? Again, it's about the shared knowledge of, of things. Um, then, and, and, and to me, it's been the most rewarding uh, element of, of my leadership uh, across many years, um, which is, um, are you actually helping others to become leaders, good leaders? And it makes me so proud whenever I see or hear uh, stories of, of people that work with me and, and how they have developed and, 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 and where they've gone. And, 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 and this, this is just, just, just great. And I think there's also one element that, that um, my dear friend Kevin Allen in his book, um, The Missing uh, Piece of the Cutlery, um, put up and, and he described his, his first leadership role. And, and when he um, got that promotion, uh, his manager said to him, you know what, <clears throat> Kevin, um, there's one thing that you should never forget. As of this day, your dinner conversation. Um, because as a leader, and that's not just the CEO, that's everybody who's leading teams inside the company needs to really be very mindful of what he does and what he says, because everything will be watched and everything will be listened uh, to. And you got to make sure that it stands the test of your own, well, character and attitude and everything that you're, you're saying uh, is, is important uh, to you. Mm. As a leader, remember, you are going to be dinner conversation. <laughs> yeah, you are. I, <laughs> I, you are. It's so true. I hadn't heard it put that particular way, but uh, I had a I had a uh, a senior vice president uh, or senior executive president, sorry, at uh, one point early in my career, who took me to a cafe for lunch. And when I got up to wash my hands, he said, "I want you to take the long way around this restaurant to the to the washroom." And with the intent, I want you to just to eavesdrop on the conversation. This is a business restaurant, so it's filled with business diners. And I want you to eavesdrop as you walk around. And uh, when I got back, he said, okay, so what did you hear? And I said, from what I heard, probably 80% of those conversations was somebody talking about their boss or complaining about a coworker. <laughs> he said, and there you go. You know, it was creating that awareness and, and some of that and some of the 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 way that you said that is you're going to be the topic of conversation. And sometimes it might be favorable or unfavorable, but I like the distinction that you put in there. Does what you're doing stand the test of your own values, purpose? You know, are, are, can you look yourself in the eye at the end of the day and say, I am in alignment and I am doing what matters most and taking care of people and taking care of the mission and the work in the way that matters? Absolutely. And uh, I mean, I remember one, one situation when, when, I mean, business isn't always straightforward and it isn't always great. So sometimes you have situations where you have to do things that uh, are actually not what you uh, ideally would like to do. And um, at one point in my career, I, we had a situation where we uh, needed to close an office and um, ha had to let people go. And um, we did it in the most positive way you can do this. Um, and uh, that included severance um, payments and, and, and various other things. And, um, and I went there to, to make sure I was part of these conversations because um, I thought uh, I can't just be there to say, hey, we, we won this and we were doing great. But you also have to uh, convey the bad news. And, and, and uh, my, 
Uh, and, and in that, there was one situation where um, everybody in the company understood, but not the leader of that office. Mm. And uh, so while we had agreed clear standards for everyone, uh, that person asked for significantly more. And uh, I had a tough conversation um, with that person in, in order to make sure that there was an understanding that we can't tell everybody this is kind of what it is. This is the structure and it's whatever X weekly pays and so on and so forth. And then the leader of the office gets like um, double or triple or whatever it was. I don't remember uh, the, the, the proportion of the ratio. <clears throat> but you've got to be clear about um, those elements. And I mean, one thing that we did in, 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 in inside Spark 44 to help us um, have a good temperature test of, of what was happening, what was going on, because if you have 18 offices, I mean, nobody can be everywhere at the same time and, and not everybody can be there for 365 days a, a year. So we had an, um, a initially a quarterly and then a, um, a system for every, every four months, three times a year evaluation uh, process. And there's many of those, obviously, um, and, and I've seen many, and, and, and I think many of our listeners will have seen many that are actually um, a bit of a burden and a waste of time. This one wasn't. And the reason it wasn't was that um, the evaluation structure was uh, centered around the values of the company. So basically every three months or later on four months, every manager had to talk to his people and it was always a um, uh, 360 conversation um, uh, about their performance against those values and, and, and to define what to stop doing and what to continue doing or to start uh, doing. And, and there was a little financial bonus attached to it, but it wasn't like huge money. It was just more recognition. Um, and that did wonders. And um, it again, when you look at behaviors in terms of the shared behaviors of a company, these things help you if you start reading the data um, to make the right decisions in terms of what needs to happen in which office or in which department um, and, and, uh, and act upon it. And, but people will look at you um, once you explain what the results are, what the, what the findings are, if you act upon them. And uh, if you don't, they won't forget. So again, it's, that's not the dinner conversation, that's like the uh, coffee break conversation. Um, you gotta be sure to try to, um, well, walk your talk. You're, you're building culture either way, and it's which, which builder or which culture you're building. And you know, such a practical suggestion that you just had there is, and so often overlooked is how are our, and you get into this in some of the systems, but how are your recognition, compensation, development, how is all of it tied to the values and the culture that you're trying to build? So, you know, such a powerful thing on your, uh, on the, the performance management system you, you talked about of how are we behaviorally working towards these values or are we, what do we need to do more of? What do we need to do less of? Uh, and and so forth. And it's just a powerful, practical way that that we can start thinking about immediately if you're wondering about how to, okay, what do I do with some of these things? I want to go to another practical element here. We're talking with Ralph Specht. He's the author of Building Corporate Soul, Powering Culture and Success with the Soul System. And Ralph, you, you talk about uh, in all of these different elements, compensation and and hiring, recruitment, and leadership, and all. One of them that you talk about, I think, is one of the most important decisions that any leader ever makes, and that is who they promote, who they put into positions of responsibility for people. And uh, so you talk about soul drivers, and you mentioned the soul driver earlier in the, the episode and about how uh, human resources need to be staying curious and looking. I am curious from your perspective what is it that makes it so difficult seems for so many organizations to promote the right individuals who are in alignment with their culture and who should we be promoting and then i mean ultimately i'm going to ask you do you have any suggestions on how we can make sure we're promoting the right people but so series of questions there yeah so promotions uh, are a really challenging thing <laughs> um on the one hand 
um, they are a perfect opportunity to make someone happy inside the organization. On the other hand, they're a perfect opportunity to make 10 people unhappy inside the organization. Um, all the other people who also thought they would get the promotion. Um, or sometimes nobody gets the promotion and somebody's hired from the outside. And, and uh, so yeah, everybody's unhappy. <laughs> so <clears throat> the uh, finding the right candidate is, is a big challenge. And everybody who's ever done it knows there's, uh, there's a real challenge. And, and uh, I think some of the rules or, or principles that you can apply when you uh, hire new people to, to any, any position, you can apply here too. And, and very often the process doesn't seem so structured as in good hiring processes. So number one in a, in a hiring process, <clears throat> you obviously got uh, quite a few stakeholders, right? You got the lead leader of the team or department, uh, you got the HR people and you probably got influential colleagues depending on how it's structured. Um, and everybody's got their own thoughts about what that position would bring. And, and, and the job description is one thing, um, but very often the job description is just written somewhere and then it's out there. Um, my suggestion is to really spend a bit of time on the job description uh, with all the stakeholders that later on make the decision. And also at that stage, define the criteria by which you decide. And, and uh, that is really, really critical because afterwards, once you make the decision, A, it's easier to uh, kind of um, look at the various candidates and their strengths and weaknesses against those uh, criteria. But most importantly is when that person, uh, decision, when the decision on that person has been uh, taken, this puts you into a, a position of strength as a leader because you can argue why is that person in a much, much better way. When we're talking about promotions, um, sole drivers are, are an interesting feat because on the one hand, if you, if you think about that somebody's overlooked in, in, in such a process and everybody inside the firm would think, well, but it should have been her. And, and she should have gotten um, uh, the job. And you can very easily get into a um, spiral of, um, well, culture isn't of any value here because she what she's been doing and there's no recognition and so on and so forth. So you've got to make sure that um, once you promote somebody else, that person that didn't get the promotion knows why and understands why. And sometimes it's it's hard. It's never, these conversations are, are never easy, but the worst thing is not having that conversation. And so creating buy-in from everybody else and then managing the announcement in a way that you link the qualification, the hard skills of that uh, person to the cultural elements that everybody will recognize so people can have a sense of, I get it, I would have loved to get the job or I think she should have gotten the job. No, he is getting the job. And I understand where the decision has been taken from. Um, and that is a bit more than just an email announcement of saying, hey, Mary got the job. So <clears throat> again, I, mean, I think we started the conversation by um, when you ask the question, well, what I want to recommend for leaders, well, and my first, my first answer was, well, if you start thinking about it, you're already on a good, good, good track. Same here. Think about it and think about what it would mean to you as an individual. Put yourself in, the, in those shoes and create a bit of empathy to make sure you um, set the person that you promote up for success for their new role, because ultimately that's what you want. So many practical that that segment right there is worth, uh, I would say, playing probably once every quarter as you are thinking about who you're promoting and how you're building the criteria based job descriptions, how you're evaluating candidates for those roles internally or externally, either way, and how you're communicating the, the changes that are made. 
And going back to, I just love what you said at the beginning there, that promotions are not about making one person happy. If we use them that way, we're setting ourselves up for disaster and we're not doing it in a soulful way that is culturally aligned. It's about what's best for the team, for the organization, and for that individual. It should be good for that individual as well, but they are one aspect of the, the total equation. All right, Ralph, tell us where we can, I've got another question for you, but I, I wanna have you tell us where can we connect with you, find the book, find out more about what you're doing. Well, there's a dedicated website, which is buildingcorporatesoul.com. So it's pretty straightforward, um, actually. And uh, you can also do a soul check. That's what I uh, call this thing, which is a probably takes five minutes and asks a number of questions. And you can basically check out the score of your corporate culture and, 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 and see where you're trending. Um, and, and that's helpful, I think, for people who... So, well, I think it's good, but I'm not, I'm not so sure. And obviously, it's a temperature test again, right? Otherwise, we wouldn't be able to do it in five minutes. But I'm also offering on that on that site um, the opportunity for, for people to um, uh, fill in a box about, is there anybody that they would recommend as a sole driver or, or any company that they think is a real sole, com sole company? which I'm happy to feature in my um, newsletter that comes uh, every two weeks. And uh, then obviously you can follow me on Twitter and you can follow me on LinkedIn. Um, and it's always straightforward because Ralph Specht as a name works easily because there aren't too many with that name on those platforms. So it's good. <laughs> Fantastic. So buildingcorporatesoul.com? Yes. All right, head over there, get your, your assessments for yourself. And I just love that. Nominate your business or a business, a company that uh, has that soul that uh, Ralph can feature in, in future newsletters. That's fantastic. All right. You have shared, oh, and by the way, I want to mention in the book, also get the book because in the appendix, I, I, throughout the whole thing, you've got so many different elements. We have only scratched the surface. We've been talking about leadership. We've been talking about promotions and soul drivers. And as I mentioned, uh, Ralph goes in depth and how you structure every different aspect of organization, uh, organization life and, and all the systems to support corporate soul. So it's there's a wealth of information for you. So many different questions to help you draw out uh, the the application and, and what you want to be doing there and take a look at how you're doing. And then in the appendix, there are even more great case studies and questions that you can ask yourself as you're building corporate soul. That said, so go to the website, get the book. Ralph, as we, as we get ready to wrap up here, you know, you've shared several different examples with us from a, a number of different organizations. And I love, you know, Lego needing to, to really get the DNA of the people who love Lego. Let's get our Lego lovers in the, in the building. Are there, was there a specific example of soulful behavior or leadership that stood out for you? Maybe it surprised you, maybe it, uh, and you, I know you've shared a number of them, the CEO writing the letter to the, the individual who'd lost somebody. Something that, that stood out for you or, or surprised you in addition to the, the ones that you have shared so far? Yeah, I think there was one in particular. I mean, I wrote the book uh, pretty much throughout 2020, right? And um, as we all remember, because we've all been accustomed to it now, uh, this was the year of the COVID outbreak and hit various industries tough. It hit everybody, but it hit some industries harder than, other, than others, and, and hospitality was one. And we talked about Hilton a, um, a little bit. There was one thing that uh, happened that year, which I think is going to become a, um, a, a um, organizational behavior um, masterpiece for uh, universities and, and students to, to look into, which is the moment when Airbnb had to let go 25% of their workforce. And the and, and we've seen recent examples, like, I mean, shortly before Christmas, there was the better.com uh, disaster, um, also 25%, uh, 800 people. LinkedIn, I think, was 1,600, so twice as big. And P&O Ferries in the UK, just like a week or two ago, same thing, Zoom call, 800 people. So Brian Chesky, Airbnb's um, CEO, 
had kept the communication line with his employees from the moment the pandemic was identified as a, as a pandemic and the impact on house hospitality very openly. And, and he's, he had town halls and he had as much as possible in Zooms and, and, and regular emails. And, and at one point in May 2020, uh, he had to convey um, the message that 1,600 people will leave, have to leave. And you can imagine everybody who's ever done that um, is, uh, is, is, a, is, a, is a real challenge. And the, the way he did that and the, and the whole letter that he sent out is in the book, um, but also you can find it on Airbnb's um, um, website. What he did was amazing in two, in two areas. One, he addressed both the ones that had to leave and the ones that were able to stay in the same letter. And uh, if you think of a company as one ecosystem, that's a very important uh, thing to do. Secondly, what he did was uh, the company put together quite a program for to support everybody who had to leave. Um, but the letter is a masterpiece in terms of emotional intelligence and the way to um, actually share his deep feelings about the fact that 1,600 people who made Airbnb, Airbnb had to leave. And uh, he was motivating them saying, the qualities that you've brought into this place are qualities that are needed everywhere. So uh, we will support you in getting a new job. And since when you look at Airbnb's purpose, which is all about a sense of belonging, um, you can belong anywhere. Um, this is all following uh, as a red thread um, on, on the line of the purpose from, from, from Airbnb. So it's strategically sound, it's emotionally um, superb, um, and it's one of these mass layoffs that you haven't heard in the news so much about compared to the better.com or others. So even in the really difficult, challenging things, to have alignment with your shared understanding, those values, in your communication, all of it, even in a mass layoff, you can still be acting in accordance with who you are. That is being the leader you'd want your boss to be. Ralph, thank you so much for being a guest on Leadership Without Losing Your Soul. My pleasure, David. Great conversation. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Until next time. Absolutely. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.